Hi there, this is Stephen Peters and you're listening to Australian Survivor Archives. the only podcast on the internet daring to talk about the entire history of Australian Survivor from 2002 to today and everything else in between. And we have a very exciting episode for you today. We have talked at length about various aspects of this show, detailing and all the stories we know, all the things we've heard, all the things we've researched, people that have been there, people that have done things and today, we've probably got the one person on the show that can answer all the other questions that we haven't been able to answer and everything else in between. So it's going to be a very exciting episode indeed. I'm going to start off by saying my name, of course. My name is Ben, and I, for one, am hoping to buy some rights to something throughout this episode. Hi, guys. As always, with Ben, I'm here tonight to have this fantastic interview uh, my name's Matt Dyson, and we, we, we've had so many exciting interviews already this season and just talking about Whaler's Way and Survivor 2002, and I just can't wait to get, get into this interview and find out uh, so much more about this fantastic season. It is basically the interview you've all been waiting for, and I think instead of teasing it as much as we have, let's just introduce this man. He was the executive producer on Season 1 of Australian Survivor, Whaler's Way, back in 2002, Mr. Stephen Peters. Stephen, welcome to the program. Hi, guys. It's an absolute treat to talk to you. I hope you're not overselling me. It sounds like you might be a little bit. <laughs> That's our job. No, we're big fans, Stephen. We're big fans. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are doing this. I just hope my memory uh, can... Um can come to the party but i'm sure it will i'm sure we will jog it wherever we can and because i mean I'm, i can imagine it's interesting to to get an email or, or a message of some sort saying hey we want to talk to you about your career but we want to talk to you about a show that happened nearly 20 years ago because you've done plenty of work you've won plenty of awards you, you've done so much in your career yet here we are talking about a show that as you said you might not remember all about it so i mean <laughs> do people even talk to you about doing survivor anymore well, I don't talk to people unless they ask us because, um, you know, over here, uh, the first series, I mean, it was at the time it was actually received okay, rated reasonably well, not not as high as anybody uh, expected. Uh, but I think those expectations were probably, you know, um, a, pre- a bit over the top anyway. But um, I think a lot of people remember it differently to how I think probably should be remembered, you know. So I'm glad somebody's asking me some questions. How did the role come about for you? How how were you first approached uh, to be the executive producer of Australian Survivor when it was announced that, hey, Channel 9 are going to do this? Well, at the time I was working on staff at 9 as an executive producer, producing a whole lot of lifestyle-type programs because you've got to remember back then reality 
didn't even exist. You know, it was a term that nobody had ever heard of before. And even when we did it, you know, nobody was calling it reality. I don't know what, I don't know what sort of the genre was classed as. Um, so I was a, an executive producer there. And at the time, Nine was, had already run the first US series and I think was running the second. And there was some contractual stipulation that if Nine wanted to, there was a bit of a bidding war, as you can imagine, for the rights to show the US series. But there was a stipulation somewhere in the contract that basically said, if you don't make your own, uh, we're not going to give you uh, the rights to show the US series. Now, the benefits of that to Castaway and and uh, the people involved directly was, of course, they get format rights. And it's another territory that's then making the show. And if it does well, it's another territory that then will be you know, delivering them format rights for years to come, which is what's happening now. So there's great benefits in other territories doing their own versions of it as long as they can do it, you know, of a certain standard. So Castaway Productions, they were the ones that uh, that obviously were involved that came up with the idea. We have Charlie Parsons. When, when this came about that Channel 9 were going to do their own season, was there? did you meet up with Charlie and, and discuss how the Australian version was going to go? Yeah, Charlie flew out and I don't know if he was here. I think he was probably here meeting a few different networks, but we had a, um, a boardroom lunch with him and a few other people uh, at nine and we sort of talked about it. He didn't strike me as a particularly happy-go-lucky kind of guy. He was quite difficult to um, get anything out of, actually. I think he was probably just playing his cards close to his chest, but um, he obviously felt confident enough to let us do it in the end. But at the time also, it was... I could be wrong, but it, I, I was told by one of the bean counters at Nine at the time it was the most expensive entertainment show Nine had ever produced uh, up to that point. So, that would, you know, we were talking a lot of money for Nine to commit to something like this. You know, they'd only really spent big money on sort of dramas and sport. And as I said, you, this genre didn't really exist back in 2002. So for them to, to be spending the sort of money they were now having to spend kind of reluctantly if you know what i mean that uh, they really wanted to have the rest of the u.s series so they're kind of between a rock and a hard place so why they chose me i don't know but i was glad they did in the end did there ever have an official number released on what the production was because there's never really been i think out there in the public lexicon the exact number and again it's been a while i don't know if you know this off the top of your head Stephen, but do you know a well, rough estimate of what the budget was i do but i probably shouldn't say oh come on come on you can I you can give us the exclusive give us a ballpark <laughs> because i'm i'm currently uh I'm, I'm i'm a freelance executive producer but i'm currently working at nine on a project um it, it was it was lots and lots of millions of dollars. Was it more than ten million dollars? That was less. There you go. I'll tell you that. All right. Okay. Because I mean, it's so by it, by today's you know standards, that's nothing. That's that's lunch money. Well, I think a lot of what has come out with that, and this is where I think with what we've tried to do with this show, at least, is to kind of get the comparisons out there as to maybe why certain aspects of this first Australian season didn't live up to what people were expecting is that I think the rumoured budget of the US version was upwards of $100 million for an entire season. So if you kind of look at that, that you're on maybe, 
less than 10% of what the US production can do. Well, that's what we were told. In fact, at the time, we our production manager had spent some time with the US production manager when we were setting it up. And we, yeah, she, she told me, she said, we're about a tenth of their budget. You know, so, so it's a daunting prospect. Do you think, well, there's fans of this series out there and we've got to somehow try and scrape together something that, you know, looks similar to what the US, which we're never going to do, um, but try to at least have all the jeopardy and, you know, other aspects that the US series has. So it was always, you know, it was an uphill battle from day one. So with, with the budget obviously being one of the biggest factors in, in getting this season completed, Obviously, the location um, was shot in Australia. Was that immediately the? Was there ever a chance that it was going to be shot overseas, or the fact that it was on such a lower budget compared to the US that in the end it had to be shot in Australia? That was that was the main reason. Yeah, we look we looked at um, you know places like Fiji and some some of the closer islands, but um, once again at the time the cost of relocating such a big crew um, there. So I, I spent months looking at locations around Australia in Broome and up in the northern hemisphere, and sorry, the northern part of um, Australia. But at the time, we were filming it through what was going to be the wet season or it was going to be right at the beginning of the wet season. So that kind of ruled out some really good locations that we did find up in Broome. And, uh, and it ruled out a couple of the islands that we may have been able to uh, go to as well. So um, we ended up in South Australia, which I've got to tell you, at the time we did a lot of work on, or not a lot of work, but spent some time studying what the weather patterns had been over the last 20 to 50 years at Whaler's Way. And it it should have been 28 to 35 every day and sunny, <laughs> which it clearly wasn't. So um, that didn't help us either. Well, I believe it was the coldest it had been it, for that time in about 40 years. So yeah, there's no doubt yeah. you got a little bit unlucky there. Um, it wasn't the, I guess, you know, on Survivor these days, you see a lot of the players, you know, the males with their shirts off or the, the females in their bikinis on, on, on the beaches in Fiji where, you know, unfortunately your season, yeah, being so cold, um, yeah, they were all rugged up. In, yeah. <laughs> which Whaler's Way? How? Why Whaler's Way? Did you know about that spot? Because we know it was shot on private land. Um, were you familiar with that area? No, not at all. But we, we, I mean, obviously we wanted coastal. We kind of had the idea that if we if we couldn't do tropical island, we wanted something a bit more rugged and and a little more frightening, I guess. So we literally just looked at the coastline around Australia and tried to find areas. And you know, having private property makes a massive difference because if you're trying to deal with government departments and areas that are open to the public, that's a nightmare when you've got such a huge crew and you have such a high level of secrecy, which there was. There was an insane level of secrecy at the time. And so to be able to have a private property, such a massive private property, was fantastic because it, it literally had a front gate uh, about eight or ten kilometres away from where we were filming. And we pretty, you know, we owned that whole peninsula for the, the months that we were there. Um, you know, a couple of times Channel 7 flew choppers over and other people flew light planes over to try and take photos and things like that, but nobody could get near us. So private property was, yeah, was the way to go. So, we're, you know, in some ways we were quite lucky to have done the deal with that family that owned the peninsula uh, for them to let us pretty much take over the whole lot. But, yeah, the weather was a problem. You spoke 
about the reluctance somewhat of Channel 9 to to take this project on, vo- on board and obviously, you know, with the contractual agreements to air the US one, it was kind of, you know, they had to do it. Outside of the financial obligations on such an expensive production, what, was there any other sort of reasons that you think they were a little bit reluctant or was it purely down to, to budgetary no. reasons? Purely budgetary, yeah. I mean... It was a lot of money, and also, as I said, you got to remember at the time when Survivor came out. The reason, one of the reasons it was so popular, is that there was just nothing like that on commercial television anywhere in the world. You know, there had been similar programs in Europe that Survivor was loosely based on those sorts of adventure shows where people were eliminated. But the whole, you know, the basic process of how it all played out was was completely new. So for a commercial network to go, you know, so boldly and expensively into something like that, you know, it was, it was always going to be a tricky thing. But they had this this other issue where they really wanted to continue to show the US series. So I just think, you know, well, good on them. Uh, they said, okay, bugger it, let's do it. Let's have a crack at it. And, and as, as I said, at the time, what may have what might seem like a piss week budget now at the time was still the most money they'd spent on an entertainment show. Which also at the time in the television landscape, as you're mentioning, kind of, this is all very new. The US version at the time was the number one show in America. It was a huge success in Australia, coming off the back of a season filmed in Australia. And leading into mm. when your season aired at the beginning of 2002, we just had the first season of Big Brother, of course, on Channel 10, which was just a massive, massive hit. Mm. So it, it seemed like the stars were aligning that this was going to continue this trend because really in the early 2000s, this was the biggest thing. So I could imagine that when you're appointed and you're taking this and all the planning is going on board, yeah, there's some concerns about the money, but surely that's expected that this is going to be a huge windfall for Nine no matter what would happen. Well, at the time, Big Brother wasn't in Australia. Big Brother didn't start till the, uh, after Survivor. Um, I think Big Brother started in 2003, I think. The only reason I say that is because after I finished on Survivor, um, I then did uh, produce the first series of Australian Idol and then went to the production company, uh, sorry, uh, went to the production company that was making Big Brother at the time. But I can remember Channel 9 when I was there going over to the UK to look at Big Brother because 9 was thinking of doing it but i thought it started later but maybe no yeah season one was 2001 and then i believe idol was 2003 so yeah it's it's just kind of i mean different beasts in a way obviously you got a house and an island and things like that Mm. but it's kind of because it's it's really i guess you could say the golden age of reality tv couldn't you i mean it's just so part of our daily lives now you're just used to it but i think kind of yeah i mean don't get me wrong. No, I don't think Nine was, you know, um, completely reluctant to do it. It was really just, wow, we really have to spend this much money to even come close to doing it, you know. Um, I, I, I certainly don't think, as I said, we went over to the UK to look at Big Brother when there was a bit of a bidding war happening for the rights to that you know, long before it was made, obviously. Um, so I think all the networks, you know, they, they'd be crazy not to have a crack at something like these sorts of shows that are doing so well everywhere in the world, you know. With a show of this size, obviously there's so much pre-production goes into it and planning. I guess one of the things that people were a bit surprised of about at the time was, I guess, when, when the music hit for that first episode. And it's not, 
it wasn't the traditional um, Survivor theme music that, that mm. they they had known from those first two American seasons, and even the logo itself, which we talk very highly about. We love the that first season, your season, um, Australian Survivor logo. I still reckon to this day it's one of the best. Um, but can <laughs> you good. can you tell us why the music had to be different and the logo? We weren't allowed to. We weren't allowed to. Um, because I think that was that was CBS's music, um, and that they owned that. Was it CBS who made it? It yes. was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so my, my recollection was that because we wanted it and that we couldn't get it. So, you know, for them that was their title music of their show, you know, not of necessarily the Survivor franchise because, you, you know, remember that was – you know, they were rolling this fran- or hoping to roll roll this franchise out around the world if they could. Um, so as far as I guess uh, Burnett and CBS were concerned, is that's no, that's their title music. Um, they shouldn't be, or other survivors shouldn't be taking credit for all the work they've done, even though you know we would have had to have paid a license fee for it. But no, we weren't allowed to, so we had to come up with something new. I should have also said Ben and I are massive fans of the theme music. We think we've said previously that at the time it was a bit disappointing when, when the theme hit and it wasn't that original theme, but, but you know, all these years later, when you listen to it, there is something special about it. And I think over time it, uh, it it still holds up, but um, did you have to, I'm glad because I thought it was quite good too. I actually really liked the music as well. Oh, absolutely. I think it was very, Looking back now, it was very underrated at the time, and I really hope people do appreciate it now. But did you hear a few different versions? Like, were you the one that had to sign off on it? Um, can you can you remember? Yeah, we we uh, obviously it was one of those gigs that musicians all over Australia were like, "Oh my god, I'd love to be able to be the uh, the author of um, the new Survivor title music." You know, so we had uh, a lot of people. Uh, send in demos and we listened to a lot of you know we gave gave a brief of what we wanted and uh i think you know in the end like most things it came down to the best two or three and we just went with that there was just something there was some emotion in in uh that piece i i remember that was one of the things that kind of got it across the line for us you you mentioned about not being allowed to use them were there other things that you were restricted from? Like, did that come in an initial meeting with Charlie Parsons? Like, if you guys are maybe thinking, hey, let's try this, but then they were like, no, you've got to stick to this or you can't do this or you can't do that? I think there were, there were very few restrictions. Most of them, as I said, re- revolving around CBS's version of the show. So other, other than that, but also, once again, this is how different things are now. You know, you'd be aware that most reality shows, you know, or most TV shows like that have a Bible. You know, have a TV Bible, which is, which is usually uh, you know anything up to a hundred or two hundred page document, pretty much for a format telling you how to make the show. You know, all the pitfalls that have happened, that have gone before, and and here's the best way to cast, and here's the sort of things you should be looking out for, and here are the ways that this best works. You know, um, so for for whatever rights Channel Nine paid for, we didn't even get a Bible. You know, it was like you've got the rights to it. You can't do this. You can't do that. Good luck. Um, I don't think they even wanted to see an episode before it went to air. My recollection was that I can't remember ever sending any anything over to the to the UK for them to. They didn't have to okay it. Nobody from Castaway came on location at any time to sort of check up on us. I think we were off in the antipodes, and they didn't really care, which is a bit weird, really, for such a such an important franchise. Did that then make things? 
difficult? Did you wish you maybe had more of that input? Or Absolutely. Kind of... Yeah, we, we lost so much time and probably, lear- you know, we were learning things as we were making the show, things that in hindsight you'd go, my God, you know, that's obvious now. Um, you wouldn't do it this way or you'd do it that way or, you'd, you know, we're, having said that, there was a ton of planning that went into this thing. Um with having sort of a hundred odd people out in a, in a, in a reasonably remote location. Having said that, it was still quite close to a town because that was the other thing was that we needed to sort of keep the budget down was that we needed to be within a, no more than an hour or so's drive from somewhere where we could accommodate everybody because we didn't have the budget, which they you know probably do have now to have so much uh, to actually just build crew accommodation close to where you're filming so everybody was driving uh, i think it was a bit over an hour from um, port lincoln to whaler's way and to the various parts of whaler's way where we were filming so um yeah we had to be near you know at at, at least a, a reasonable size town to accommodate everybody you know, had enough motels and hotels and or private accommodation to to look after everybody, and most importantly, pub <laughs> and karaoke bars for Lincoln, of course. <laughs> yes, don't start me on Lincoln and his damn karaoke bars. That's Link. That's that's Lincoln listening to the executive producer saying, "Listen, while you're here, just be careful. Make sure you keep a low profile because people are onto it." Okay. <laughs> that was Lincoln's way of keeping a low profile. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen, how much prep? You said there was over a hundred uh, crew members. How much pr- uh, preparation setting up the whole the whole site, the campsites, prior to the um, the sixteen castaways going out to Whalers Way? I th- I think we probably in in planning in Sydney there was about six or seven months, and then on location, probably the first people went in there about a month beforehand. Not a, not a huge amount of time because there's a lot to be built and a lot of um, you know, props and things to be shipped in and things like that. So it was, you know, once again by today's standards, it would it would probably seem relatively tight. And the and the crew, uh, really, the bulk of the crew only arrived um, the week before. So enough time, once again, because we hadn't done this before, for us to do a whole lot of you know uh, tribal councils and just try things out and work out where cameras would be and things like that. And it was around that time that we realised that. Uh, the difficulties we were about to have if this weather didn't get any better, which it didn't. So it at least gave us a little bit of time to go out and buy lots of ponchos and dryer bones for everybody. Was there much research, and when I say research, obviously there's only a couple of, say, the US ones that aired, but was there much research from other versions? Did you watch sort of the Swedish and the, the other international versions outside of the US ones to get some ideas as well? Yeah, we did. We did. We certainly watched them because what what we did have was or what Castaway said we could use was basically any of the the uh, the games we could pick from the shows that we had access to. You know, we came up with quite a few ourselves. We hired a couple of um, a couple of guys who I think were ex commando types and uh, or ex army types that knew a lot of these kind of things. But also we had access to to at least look at how these other games played out in other territories and and could kind of think, oh, that'll work for us. You know that that will work with the terrain that we've got, and the you know the we, we just think that could yeah could play well for us. So that gave us probably you know half of our games were from other uh, existing survivors. With, with watching those seasons, obviously the US season we have Jeff Probes as a host, 
um, and he's gone on, you know, 20 years now, still hosting yes. the show. That would have been a big decision, obviously, picking the host for the first Australian Survivor season. Uh, how did you come to pick Lincoln? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know that in the end Lincoln was my first choice. I think he was on the, the short list. Um, we, you know, once again, it's a bit like with musicians, everybody, you know, every male uh, presenter or sportsman in Australia at the time wanted to have a crack at this. Uh, as you can imagine why, you know, it would have been a fantastic gig. And so we had lots of sports stars and, and actors and we did weeks and weeks and weeks of screen testing. And out of the blue, one of the publicists who worked at Nine said, listen, there's this guy, he's, a, he's actually a producer on 60 Minutes, you know, and he's, he's a tall, good-looking dude, he's sort of quite funny and we should just throw him in the mix. And he was sort of thrown in at the last moment. And uh, and did a screen test and um, and because it was such an important role, that was one of those decisions that went to you know a committee of people at nine, um, who finally kind of decided okay that's that's basically who got the most votes out of the ten or so people that uh, had input on who the host should be. Do you remember Stephen who your first choice was for the hosting gig? No, I don't, to be honest. I mean, I, I had like three people that I thought, okay, if we end up with any of those, that will be okay. It was it was daunting to even, you know, to say, okay, you've got the gig because it, it's such an important role within the show, as you know, uh, the credibility of that person, even though they don't actually say a lot, uh, they, they, they have a quite a powerful role in the show and their presence is, you know, incredibly important. But no, I can't. I can't remember. I think there was a couple of sports cut people who I thought, yeah, that'd be really good. They had a, a good physical presence. It, it's sort of well, it's sort of common knowledge that um, Richard Hatch was really pushing to be a part <laughs> of to be a part of season one as a host. Was he ever? Yeah, <laughs> he came out. I remember having a very long boozy lunch with him, and and it was straight after, hi, I'm Richard Hatch. For the rest of the lunch, he was just in my ear and anybody close by about either being the host or in some way being part of the competition or yeah, no, he was, he was desperate to do it. Was um, he ever a genuine option? No, no. I mean, we, we just saw him as, yeah, I mean, he was the winner of the first series. He was very well known, but I, I we couldn't really see any crossover. We couldn't really see anywhere where he would fit. If you know what I mean? Like he couldn't be the host. He just didn't have that physical presence. And so I don't know what else you would do with him. And it would have been weird to have the winner of a preceding series as a contestant because most people would just say that gives them obviously an extraordinary advantage. So there was really, you know, it was nice that he wanted to be there and be involved. There was kind of nothing for him to do. How close was Ben Dark, Stephen? Uh, we we really we've we've got this love affair for Ben Dark because he hosted the audition special yeah. beforehand. Uh, was he ever seriously an option, and how much did he want the gig? Um, I I used to know Ben quite well. I used to travel with him a lot on um, Getaway, which was a travel show that was here uh, on here years ago. Yeah, he was definitely on the list. Absolutely, um, he probably he would have been in the the top five. I think one of the issues with with Benny, he was potentially a little bit polarizing at the time, you know, because he's, he, he's a great guy, but he can be quite, quite ocker and 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 matey, and um, so yeah, like I said, in 
yeah, those sorts of decisions are actually probably best made by a bunch of people because you wouldn't want that decision just down to one person deciding who does it. But I, I like Ben a lot, and he certainly had the physical presence to pull it off. Do you, do you know where he is, Stephen? We, we, we have trouble ben. seeing where... In, I don't think he's been made a public appearance in seven years. We're a bit worried for him. We've been trying to work this out all year, basically, where Ben Dark he's, is. Well, he's... I, last thing I heard, because I went to a, a getaway reunion thing of... Oh, God, last year or something, maybe. I don't know how many years it was, but... Um, and he was... He's, he's, I think he's gone back to the bush. He runs his... His cattle property, I think. Right. He got married. He had a child, but then I don't know if he's still married. Yeah, I, and I haven't seen him for a long, long time. But I don't because he doesn't do getaway anymore. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, that's, that's our long season mystery that basically we we put out. A, I think a missing persons almost forum because yeah, I celebrity apprentice contact- happened and-, and then he's gone. <laughs> Have you contacted Getaway? They would know where he is. I'm sure. Uh, I think, well, we need to get Katrina Roundtree on speed dial or something like that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah, they would certainly know where he is. We'll track him down. But obviously his involvement was on that audition special. How did that come around? Was that always going to happen? Or was that a last minute thing that, because we don't see that now. And, and ben, and I, ben and I have discussed this. And obviously um, at the time we had Funniest Home Videos was a, a big hit at the time and it was kind of done in that way. Do you recall, was that always going to be an episode? Yeah, I think it was just part of Nine's thinking. As you say, you wouldn't do it today, but back then, who knew? But I think it was just part of Nine's thinking of, okay, we've got to amortise getting doing the right, having the rights to this show as much as we can. So let's do a little special that will, that will rate really well, which I'm sure it probably did. And then they did a making of special. Did you ever see that? Oh, fantastic. Absolutely brilliant, yeah. I think it was called Surviving Survivors. So basically, that you know, Nine was just looking for other ways to, you know, while there was a lot of heat around the title and especially a lot of interest in whilst we were in production, you know, leading up to production, uh, I just thought, well, as you would, you know, you just think, okay, well, that's going to rate really well. It's pretty cheap TV and it can run at, you know, 7.30 in prime time and probably do really good numbers, you know. Well, that audition special, it was all about the contestants that ended up getting on the show and, and and contestants that, you know, put in video applications and didn't get on. One thing that does surprise me, that only 8,500 people applied. And these days, I know my season, there was around about twenty five to 30,000 people applied. Mm. I know it's easier this day these days with technology, but were you surprised that more people didn't apply? No, I, I remember at the time thinking, bloody hell, that's a lot of, tapes to watch because once again you know that's this was new territory back then and, and you did have to somehow get a camera you know you didn't have phones and you didn't have you know links that you could send or or the internet so you had to find a camera somebody with a camera like a proper camera and film something wacky or do some sort of audition get it onto a vhs or super vhs or whatever was around and so it had to be something physical like that so you know to get eight thousand of those i think at the time, it was quite overwhelming. I, I I didn't think we'd get anywhere near that many, to be honest. Well, well, I famously borrowed my next door neighbor's camcorder and got my mother to hold <laughs> it and shoot. And it was that terrible that uh, yeah, I'm sure I remember you remember you now. Yeah, <laughs> it, back to me. tell us about it. it. Been you won't show that, it, it to it us. Tell us about it. It, <laughs> it must have been the one that Lincoln threw in the bin on that Surviving Survivor special. But did did you did you have much to do with the actual casting? Did you watch some of the videos, or oh, God, what was yeah, your involvement? Yeah. We, we had a team of people because there were so many and we, you know, we 
made made a point to watch them all because uh, people had made the effort. Uh, as I said, it's, it's more of an effort, although, you know, there wasn't such a long questionnaire that you were talking about with your survivor. But um, we had a team, I think, of maybe 10 people uh, who, who had been briefed as to what to look for, you know, what style of person, what sort of things they could be saying, and, and just to start shortlisting those 8,500 or however many down to, you know, 1,000 and then down to 500. And I, I think I started watching them from about the 500 mark. Myself and the other senior producers working on the show, we would then start culling from there. And then we got it down to, I think, about 100 that we then met with. Um, we flew into Sydney. We flew all of them into Sydney and spent a week uh, at the Ridges Hotel in um, in North Sydney, uh, meeting all of them and filming all of those auditions, which I think some of that was in the audition special. Um, and they all got psych tested, of course. You know, gee, there were some really good people that I really, really wanted on the show that would have been fantastic, but unfortunately they, they failed the psych test. So um, we were advised uh, for insurance purposes we couldn't use them in case they went troppo, which was a real shame because one of the problems we did have with, with you know, the, a lot of the contestants is what how they performed during the audition and the sort of things they said beforehand kind of fell by the wayside when they were put in that such a hard environment and they all, you know, so many of them just turned, turned to shit basically. I think it was just so much harder than they thought. Was yeah. there any, like, absolute standouts as soon as you saw their video or met them in person? We know Craig famously got himself delivered in a box to the to your you know to the studio there and and that's how Which he, he did. Um, that was yeah. real yeah but was there any standouts even out of anyone that may have not ended up on the show that you that um you can just remember as soon as you met him spoke to him you thought oh, you know i want this person on the show oh yeah there were a few and 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 those ones that had made that shortlist the 100 shortlist when we did meet them and, and the reason i liked them is because they were they were really outspoken they were very clear about what they wanted they were very clear about winning they were very clear about you know, their place in the scheme of things. They had studied Survivor. They, you know, they were right into it. But unfortunately, I think there were about three or four that fell into that category, both male and female. And uh, and none of them, yeah, none of, they all failed their psych test. Uh, they had, had to do quite a big psych test. And they were sort of on that cusp of being, well, you know, this, this was the advice from our psychologist that we had, was that, this is going to be really hard on these people. They're, you know, they can talk the talk now. They're the sort of personality trait that if push comes to shove, it could be push comes to shove, you know, and you can't be in that situation where somebody could turn violent or get aggressive or whatever, uh, like physically aggressive. So it was with great reluctance, and we pushed for a couple of them and, and retested them, and uh, unfortunately they still failed, which was a real bugger. Because I would have liked to have, you know, had a few people in there that were prepared to fight a bit harder, unlike Lucinda and a couple of the others. You mentioned uh, before, obviously, through what Matt was asking in regards to like the uh, audition special, the surviving survivor special, things like that, um, that are unique to to season one that haven't happened in subsequent Australian survivor seasons. There was obviously the the official handbook that was produce fantastic you know companion to the series and then great yeah. promotional things that happen through like lays and pepsi with win five hundred thousand dollars you know send in a certain amount of labels you can get yourself a buff chip packet cards yeah. and things like that that you just don't see today was things like that also planned were you having companies coming to you saying we really want to sponsor you was it a mixture of both oh absolutely 
yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we during that six months prior, we met with a whole bunch of um, potential sponsors uh, to see what they could give us. I think we had, we I think didn't we give away a Ford uh, something or other, uh, Ford Escape, I think, and. Uh, you know, Bolle were one of the – they were the, the official sunglass supplier, but also they put put in money. And, yeah, we had quite a few sponsors, but uh, Lay's were good because then we – and Mars, I think, were another one, so we could give out treats for, at different times as rewards and things like that. Um, but, but oh, yeah, yeah, there was there was enormous interest in – so, you know, even though it was such an expensive show, I'm, I'm sure it was offset enormously. The budget was offset enormously by the contribution of all those sponsors. Well, I was going to ask, so is that money additional to the money that Nine pays in, or is that basically paying the money back to Nine that they've put into the project? I mean, that that goes uh, – it depends. There's all sorts of deals done because then, you know, Nine will then guarantee them, you know, a couple of 30-second slots for, at different times. And, of course, when you're giving that slot away to Ford – uh, that means you're not getting money from somebody else and you could be charging a premium for it. So it's a bit of a juggling act for the sales department, that one, on, you know, the money that comes in that goes into the budget, but then the money that goes out and what you're giving them in airtime, you know. Um, but certainly it, people pay a premium generally for for that sort of native advertising where something actually appears in the show and not in the commercial breaks, you know. Uh, but also back then you know, people had to watch commercial breaks too, don't they? <laughs> Yeah, there was there was no whizzing through them or anything. So so commercial breaks still had had great value back then. You mentioned that they paid a premium. So obviously with that they expect big results. Do you recall once the season was over, once it aired, what the reaction was um, with maybe the viewership not being quite what they thought it might be? Yeah, I can I can I have a very good memory of one meeting with. I think it was head of sales at the time. I can't remember. He, he was quite high up. And it was after about the third week on air. Because once again, this is before shows were stripped. So you just had your one episode a week, you know. Um, and I think it was after about the third or fourth week. Because we, we did quite well for the first step and then it dropped off. Um, we were told that we weren't reaching our, you know, what, what, they, what the network had kind of promised the sponsors you know, the sort of numbers they would be getting. So we then had to do some make goods by um, just, I think we had to feature a few more cutaways and they had to give away some more ad space and things like that. So, and that, they were obviously a bit shitty about that at the time, not the, probably the sponsors and the network, but I know the network wasn't happy about having to um, give away more uh, ad space, ad time. Like I said, that back then, ad time was a lot more valuable, you know. Do you remember the first day of of filming Stephen, like that first day when the contestants get off that bus and are, and are all ready to go do you, do you remember what the nerves were like and everything how you were feeling on that day oh yeah everybody was crazy it was um yeah it, you know it was all down to this this moment and when that bus pulled up that was that was the genuine bus pulling up and that was all everybody's first view and they were blindfolded and you know all that was all that was quite real but it was it was it wasn't raining but it was cold and uh, I just remember thinking, oh, you know, they're, they're supposed to get off the bus and <laughs> at the very least stripped out of their shorts and a singlet <laughs> or something. Uh, but uh, thank God, I forget who it was, decided to, there was, a, I think the first challenge was you had to swim out um, in uh, out to a, a buoy in the ocean there that had, had, had um, I think, the maps to the two different campsites. For, I think that's what it was. Uh, and we had already put out... Um, a shark, a shark, electronic shark 
deterrents that were floating out in the in the sea, but the swell was so great they were sort of slowly being being uh, washed away a, lo- a long way from where we were filming. So we were a little bit worried because it was it's it's shark heaven down there. You know, there's been so many shark attacks down in that part of the world. That was uh, that was a major problem. Every time somebody was in the water, we had to put the shark, the electronic shark deterrents out. I'm glad Ben asked that question because, as a former contestant myself, you, you know, I know I can. I'll never forget day one. I mean, I was only there for a couple of days anyway. But for me, I, I wanted to play the game for uh, for 18 years leading up to, to the season I got on. And <laughs> yes. and the moment that you walk out and you you see the host and and all the cameras behind the scenes, it's 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 something that you'll never forget. But I'm I'm glad Ben asked that question because as a player, I don't often think about what about you know how do the producers and and all the, you know, the, the camera people and how, how they're feeling because it's the same for them. Obviously, day one, it's the, the start of the next month and um, the, the big adventure and making sure that they can do the best possible job. Um, one thing I absolutely loved about that first episode is when that, that bus comes in. I just think that was fantastic. I think it was a better intro than my season. Um, it, it was real. I mean, back then, that's how they would do it. They would have all the, the contestants on, whether it be a truck or a bus, and they'd all be blindfolded, and the host mm. would kind of introduce them. And, or, and and in this case, obviously, they got out, and Lincoln started speaking. One thing that's always been a debate, the Kadena buff. <laughs> I think it's yellow. Ben thinks it's yellow. Lincoln thinks it's yellow. There was debate whether it's yellow or green. Now, Lincoln famously says, you know, green tribe over here, blue tribe over there. And when we asked Lincoln, he said, well, there was there was debate about um, in production whether they were yellow or green. Do you recall that? It was supposed to be yellow uh, or yellowy, goldy colour because it was supposed to be the blue was the, the sea and the, the yellow was the sky, you know. Um, that was kind of loosely the the two the two color schemes. Um, so yeah, it was it was supposed to be that. I think it it looks yellow. Yeah, it doesn't look green. I know that. No, no, we we that. definitely we definitely think it's yellow. So I'm wearing it now. Um, we'll it's just... yellow. It's bloody yeah, yellow. Say, I'm telling you now. It. I can see it. It's yellow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where where green came from. Because it's interesting. Yeah, because Lincoln said in his interview that he sort of was like, no, this is yellow, but he was told no, it's green, and so that's why he went with green. So. Yeah, I don't remember that, actually, to be honest. <laughs> You've got me there. Interesting. It's It must also, like as you're saying, everything's built up to this moment. Here it goes. Lincoln does the introduction. They're off. They're going to find their camp and all this kind of things. Are, are you on site that day? I mean, how much are you on site for moments like that? Are you always there when Lincoln is talking to the survivors? Do you go on to camp to see how things are going? What's your involvement during the shoot? Well, see, once again, a bit different to now where you have, you know, sort of multiple executive producers and, and you know, a whole array of producers. We, there was myself, there were two series producers, and that was because we were obviously 24-7, so we had to, you know, piggyback people. And I think from memory there were about 10 other producers uh, who were all out, you know, living with 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 them in the uh, in the campsites, but uh, and then a sort of small army of associate producers and and other people involved with the production, so it was still by today's standards, you know, it was a big crew, but it was at the time, but relatively small by today's standards. So I was there, yeah, the entire time, as were as were the two series producers. You know, they they would take a day off every six days, and your day off was really just hanging around Port Lincoln, getting a massage if you're lucky, or going to the pub. 
and that was kind of it. So, um, you know, ev- yeah, everybody was there all the time, you know, which which created a really, you know, it was, it, it, in the end, it's, it's still been one of the nicest um, filming experiences I've ever had as far as just that sort of working with a team because everybody was so pumped. You know, all the cameramen desperately wanted to work on it. All the soundos desperately wanted to work on it. Everybody who was there you know, were sort of hand-picked because pretty much everybody in Sydney wanted to work on it. And so the people we got were all just ridiculously excited and happy to be there. And they stayed like that, you know, right to the end, despite, you know, the wheels falling off at different times and, and other things happening. And I think there's a car crash where two guys actually ran into each other in two of our crew cars, believe it or not, with nobody else on the road. They still managed to hit each other. So, wow. You know, all sorts of just the things that happen like that. But, um, and, you know, every two or three nights there would be a party in somebody's that we'd hired a whole lot of condominiums as well, two or three bedroom condos to put crew in. And pretty much every third night there'd be a massive party in somebody's <laughs> condo. And you know, so they all got on really, really well. You know, it was a really good, good team of people. I don't know where I don't know where we how we started that conversation. I forget what the question no, was. No, so there. we always like to hear random parties and crashes. You know, that's generally how we <laughs> we try and get out of our questions. But I was just about to ask that crash. Could that possibly have been on their their day off after hitting the pub down in Port Lincoln? <laughs> no, well, no, it wasn't. It was just somebody driving too fast coming back late at night with a car full of tapes because you've got to remember back then we were shooting tapes as well so and we were editing on we were editing in port lincoln we set up uh, a whole bunch of edit suites in a in a condo or in a in an apartment building in port lincoln so um people were ferrying stuff back all the time it was late at night and yeah even late at night there's one car going out one car going back and there's no other cars on this road and they still managed to uh run into each other and i think one guy got a broken ankle or something or other oh, and, wow. uh, but uh, I remember hearing about it, and I just think, how can you hit another car when you're the only two cars there? <laughs> it's night time, but they did. So I don't think there was alcohol involved. With the editing, sort of as you're saying, editing as you go along, does that then get looked over when it gets back to, to Sydney where you're editing before it goes in case like certain things are happening throughout the season that all of a sudden we've got to change a bit of narrative in a certain episode to fit with that later on in the season? Um, so we were there for what, 35 days of filming, I think it was. Um, we, we started cutting after the, you know, straight, pretty much straight away. But what we were doing is really just rough cutting whilst we were there. Uh, and then, you know, brought everything back to, to Sydney to finish it off. But we weren't making any really, any major changes to our plans because of what we were cutting, you know, in, in fact, some of the stuff was was looking quite good, despite the fact that you know this this particular game didn't exactly work out uh, for whatever reason. And there was some, you know, as you may remember in the first episode, there was you know a major. Oh, we're of, getting to that. Uh, Don't worry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know, in the end, there's nothing you can do in editing in a show like that. There's so many restrictions because it's time based on the days, you know, uh, and it's and it's everything's sort of happens in a particular order so there's only so much you can do with the narrative you know there's only so much so many ways you can kind of bend it or you know blur the edges around what what may or may not have happened so it's quite restrictive in that in that sense you know it's not like a lot of shows where you you can kind of 
throw things up in the air and have a bit of fun with it. This really does play out, you know, in a, in a linear fashion, in a chronological way, you know. But before we get to that, that first immunity challenge, do you recall what your thoughts were the first couple of days with the, with the two tribes? We, we know that um, David Haas was, was sick basically from the morning of day two. Um, but was there any signs in those first couple of days that, oh, no, like this is going to be a, a, a real mateship season? Absolutely, yeah. We, we were kind of getting a really good sense of that after about, well, certainly before, before the first um, uh, tribal council, um, trying to get these, yeah, they were all, they were all feeling the pain a bit too much and they were all just too, I mean, they were just too happy to be there as well, I think, other than David who got sick, and I think that was alcohol-related from the night before, uh, <laughs> where, where they were all told, because they were staying in various hotels around Adelaide, they were all told to, um, which we thought they would do anyway, which was to just, guys, you should really eat up, you know, because it's going to be, you're not going to be eating much over the next sort of 35 days. So if I were you, I'd have a really good meal, get a good night's sleep, just prepare yourself. And a few of them basically went out on the piss, and I remember David was one of them. And I don't, I think, I think he was just dehydrated. That was that was part of the problem. But um, yeah, all the reports we were getting back from the producers in the field, interviewing them, and uh, uh, yeah, I was getting a really bad feeling after about day two or three that they just they just weren't firing, you know. And that kind of stayed like that through throughout you know thank god for katie gold that's all i can say oh absolutely bring back katie gold everyone come on get that yeah i'm 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 with you she was she was a godsend she was brilliant and um and rob of course you know he was he was there to win he was there to play the game and joel you know so it's interesting the ones that sort of ended up in the final four um were that were the standouts you know uh, and Lance really, you know, God bless him, lasted as long as he did because everybody just liked him. You know, <laughs> um, he was just such a nice guy and so so gently spoken. And um, uh, and, and but, because and and because Tapara had only been to one tribal council up yeah. until day thirty, and that was playing heavily on us as well. You know, <laughs> just like it's just not wasn't quite playing out as we had planned. Uh, well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, you told us about David Haas being on the drink the night before because that might explain uh, anyone that's seen the reunion show. He mentions that he didn't eat breakfast the morning of starting the show. Um, so that yeah. might explain. Maybe it was a bigger hangover than uh, he sort of let on. But um, one thing that, that always stood out with me with Kadena, and, and I've spoken to on this podcast about it, after the, the first three people that went in Kadena, which was um, Lucinda, Tim and David, the remaining five were all in their 20s, um, which I don't think you would see today that many people in their 20s. No. Is, is that an issue? Do you think that may have been an issue with what happened? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Once again, this is, you know, this is only the, was the first time it had been done in Australia and Australia, Australians had only seen the US version. And I guess there was still a naivety, I think, on everybody's part on, on hoping everything would just play out the way it should. Where you know, whereas now in hindsight, you would you would manipulate things differently. You know, you would you would not let that happen. You would create you know whether it be the choice of uh, challenges early on that maybe favour certain people over others to try and keep you know a certain tribe uh, alive in in a way that's going to work for better television. You know, um, but we didn't know that, and that's that's sort of normally when you'd be doing a show like this you would have a a bible that would sort of tell you things like that you know that would give you hints on how to 
um, best work your way or you know navigate your way through through some of the things that can happen. And with things like this, there's lots that can happen. And when they happen, there's not a lot you can change. You know, you can't, you can't, and it's not like you can use voiceover either. You know, things like that when you're talking about in post-production with a lot of other shows, you can write a, a, a line of voiceover that can change everything. But we couldn't all of a sudden have Lincoln go into voiceover, you know, uh, as, as Jeff wouldn't have done either. Um, it, so, so, there's, so there are certain stylistic things that you're kind of stuck with that you can't change. So to a point, you had to kind of just ride it and hope other things wouldn't change. But, you know, I remember talking about how crap the weather was. And on a couple of days, I remember going down to, to the um, teams and just <laughs> asking the girls if they could strip down to their bikinis and just sunbake for a while because we haven't seen any flesh for like seven days. And all of them are sort of like, that's freezing. I'm not going to do that. It's like, guys, come on. I'll give you a Mars bar or something. Come on. Can you just please? Well, just I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm glad you did that, Stephen, because I was sort of getting sick of seeing them in their RM Williams big jackets. Exactly. No. So we literally, you know, any sequence where they were wandering around wearing what they were supposed to be wearing, which was bikinis or shorts or just singlet tops, was mostly, you know, us saying, begging them, yelling at them. And then Did you give them Mars bars? Then, did you actually give them things to do it? I, I do think I did on that occasion, which I shouldn't have. Oh, wow. We I love it. We <laughs> Matt, Matt you should have gotten off. naked and then you would have gotten food. <laughs> Um, oh. because you've got to remember that's the other part of you know, of course the DNA of Survivor is you're not only seeing people push to the limit emotionally you're seeing them push to the limit physically and a big part of that is is seeing their bodies you know and that's not being you know uh, pervy or anything like that you're just seeing people uh, in some ways wither away as well so so you know seeing lots of flesh is really a big part of the show so when when you have crap weather like that where it doesn't get over you know, 19 or 23 or something like that, but with a wind chill factor that dropped it down to the, you know, 10 or 11, um, you're up against it. And the same thing again, You there's kind of not much you can do other than bribe them with Mars bars to occasionally lie down on the beach and act like they're sunbaking, you know. Um, well, well I do to, have to thank you for that because there was a reason back then why Jane was my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay, good. <laughs> Poor old innocent Jane. Yeah, I'm, oh. I'm always amazed she lasted as long as she did. But anyway, with the talking about the tribe and sort of Matt brought up the age, sort of the disparity with Kadena, and then you look at Tapara, who kind of only had I think three people under the age of thirty or four. How much of a say do you have, or kind of what's the discussion like when it comes to dividing the tribes initially? Does it come down to personalities mixing? Does it come down to a mixture of ages? How does that all work? Well, we did try to make obviously a, a reasonable cross section and to make the both tribes look look equal, too. Um, but it was more based. Age was would be sort of that third thing on the list. It was more based on personality types and types that we thought would not get on, uh, you know, and, and being forced to obviously work together as a team uh, that sort of had differing opinion opinions about whether it be politics or you know favorite food or whatever it might be their worldview uh, that we had hoped that that would create, you know, some interesting drama within each tribe. So that would have been the main criteria for, you know, whatever people ended up in, in which tribe, um, you know, age wasn't 
a huge factor for us. But uh, you know, and in in the end, yeah, maybe maybe that didn't that was one of the reasons that things didn't pan out the way they did. But you know, once you're there, it's it's too late. There's nothing you can change. And of course, until the tribes merge. Do you recall if there was any last minute switches of the tribes, or had they been locked in weeks earlier? Yeah, they'd been locked in weeks earlier because they then had to do a whole bunch of health tests and all sorts of things. And once again, we didn't have the budget to have, you know, I'm sure Survivor now has a whole bunch of people on standby right up to the last moment, you know, who who might think they're going and 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 are not. But we didn't have we yeah, we didn't have any standbys at all. Once we'd locked it locked into them, they were it. They had but, to but, stay healthy and upright till we left, you know. But but even with the final sixteen, like was there any any maybe last minute like swap one from Kadena over to Para? Or, oh um... right, oh I'm I'm sure there would have been, but I, I can't remember. But yeah, oh yeah, that process of who goes into which team, um, which tribe I should say that yeah that that took a long time. Yeah, absolutely. But I I couldn't tell you whether it was right up to the last moment or not. I feel that um, it was mentioned, and this is one of the big talking points. I feel that we've been dying to ask you all season about this. Uh, that first challenge, Stephen. Now. A lot of a lot of fans of this show of Australian Survivor often when it comes to the negativity around season one will often reference the the first challenge and sort of the issues around that. Of course. Now, obviously a weather played a huge factor in in what happened there, but one of the things that we've sort of questioned a lot throughout the rewatches and the interviews and that is the possibilities of, of reshoots or kind of, you know, maybe editing around this to a fact where you could have reshot this to make it look like it all happened. Because obviously today, it happens a lot. Like, you know, modern mm. Survivor, they reshoot scenes, they reshoot challenges to make it, because this would never be shown in that way today. Was there any consideration no, to... Uh, no? Uh, well, no, there wasn't at the time. And I guess, once again, that's because we were... Uh, first cab off the rank to do this style of show we wanted to be as as pure to what survivor was as possible and we were locked into a schedule that we that didn't allow for any to come back tomorrow night you know because tomorrow night was already blocked out we already knew everything we were doing tomorrow night you know Uh, we had tested that uh, that particular challenge for days you know it was a really complicated challenge the water was absolutely freezing. You know, when we first planned it back in Sydney months prior, you know, that we knew what the water temperature would, would be. It was going to be cold because it is the Southern Ocean. But that night, the wind chill was unbelievable and it was freezing. And when there was concern from our medics that, uh, in fact, I think two people did get hypothermia, I think. I forget who it was. Somebody had to be taken away for a little bit because uh, we're asking them to go and swim out at dusk, which is, of course, the worst possible time you could ask somebody to swim in shark-infested waters, uh, where it was icy cold and then the wind came up and it was not going to go anywhere and we had um, the weather forecast with us and it was only going to get worse as the night progressed. So we kind of had nowhere to go and I remember when it just wasn't working myself and just the other senior producers just going somewhere quiet and just nutting out every possible thing we could do to try and get around it. And a, and a, and a reshoot was not an option uh, because we just didn't have the time. You know, we just uh, – we, we were already mobilised. You know, there was already a team of people in place for everything that was happening tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and, that, and everything was locked in. So, you know, we ended up stealing some time, I think, the next day to 
we well, I forget what what was the challenge we did in lieu of at the end. It was it was something we did the next day. A trivia it challenge. Was quite a quick one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was quite, once again it had it had to be something that had that we could do the next day that involved virtually no props uh, and would be quick to get because we were locked into a tribal council that night. I think it was how it played out. So, but but like I said, that that challenge worked every time in rehearsal. Um, but the, the weather just kicked in and absolutely killed it. Those those uh, branches were covered in 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 um, flammable liquids. To you know that that whole thing should have just gone up like a bonfire. But uh, it was yeah, it was crazy. Well, it's interesting you you mentioned that because I think we talked to Lincoln about that earlier um, about and he'd mentioned like it surprised him that that wasn't done. But it's, it's sort of interesting to to hear that that was the case. Was there any thought process with that backup trivia challenge? that maybe it could be edited to look like that was the challenge initially and that you just didn't show any of the fire challenge in the first place? Uh, no, it's, good. it's a good question. i I, I, I got to say I would never have thought of that because I would have, <laughs> this might be naive, I think I would have preferred a spectacular fail other than having a really lame first challenge where people may have looked at it and thought, so that's your, that's the best you've got for a first challenge. But, you know, in hindsight, it's probably worse to say uh, have a challenge that didn't work. I don't know. But, you know, we spent a lot of time on that first challenge because we really wanted something that was bloody hard, which it was, that would have had, was supposed to have a spectacular ending, which was this huge fire. Um, you know, so it, it would have looked amazing, but I guess we were so uh, connected to we were so committed to doing it. And as, as I said, we had a tribal council the next night. Uh, so we, and we just didn't have, we couldn't have done both. They were, they were in very different parts of the peninsula and, uh, and the setup time with crew. Uh, it just wouldn't have been possible to do both. So we were kind of a bit stuck really. It is a shame it happened because Ben and I, we, we defend this season so hard. And unfortunately it's, it's people that do want to criticize it. It's always the one thing they come back. Oh, yeah. I get that. I get that. Yeah, yeah. I can see how any fan would go. What the? Is that it? Is that (laughs) you you didn't even finish your first challenge? You know. Well, yeah, and I suppose because it's the first episode as well, the fact that it's you know it's a new logo, it's got new intro music, the first Mm. challenge isn't working. um, Play, you know. No, it's it's without a doubt my my biggest regret from the series, without a doubt, by a country mile. You, you said that the numbers dropped off after that first episode. Do you think it just with all those things going wrong, Lucinda asking to be voted out, do you think that yes. that, that mm. all just people just said, oh, this isn't a real deal, we're not watching anymore? Mm, I'd say so. They dropped off from memory. It wasn't huge. It was about maybe 15% uh, and then kind of went probably another five or so percent after that and then they hovered, you know, at about the sort of two-thirds mark from what, whatever the first episode was. But yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, and like I said, that's my certainly my biggest regret. Um, is is you know, in hindsight, you would probably yeah, you, you'd you'd have some sort of contingency for everything. But at the time, we we didn't. You know, we as I said, we had a tribal council locked in, and we couldn't move that because we had the next day locked in, and there was there was no there was no room for anything like that. In hindsight, you would have you would have a buffer zone of a couple of days. But in our mind, we had our three-day cycle and we were going to play this game as as purely as we could, you know, and that is that that's how it played out. If things turned to shit, 
they turn to shit and we'll try and work our way around it. Um, in hindsight, you would probably say, yeah, that's all well and good, but you know what? It's, it's, the, it's the entertainment factor of the show is more important than that. So if it means you have to factor in a couple of spare days where the castaways are really just sitting around doing nothing, well, good, you know, that's fine. That, that's good luck to them. But you've got that buffer zone if things do go wrong. But at the time, we didn't. So You mentioned having that first tribal locked in, and, and that brings us to the second biggest talking point probably of your season, which is, of course, Lucinda voting for herself and becoming the first ever person to vote herself forth. When, when, when did you become aware that she was going to do that? Oh, not till just beforehand. She had been talking about it, but nobody thought, no, that's not going to happen. And then she wanted to see me and I went and had a chat to her and you know, obviously tried everything I could. And she she had she was quite serious that you know she would not be in a good place if she couldn't get out of there then you know and and then it became a a mental health issue that you know if you've got somebody saying listen you know I'm going to be in a really bad place if I don't get out of here and this is my chance to get out of here this is not what I thought it was going to be <clears throat> this is ten times harder than I thought it was going to be I'm I'm completely out of my depth I'm out of my league I want out and there's only so much you can say to somebody you can try to convince them but you know if she changed her mind and then done something stupid the next day or injured herself badly the next day we would be then in a really difficult position insurance wise if she said well listen i spoke to the executive producer and you know he i told him i really didn't want to be there and he talked me into staying you know so there's a point where you've got a kind of you know it's just it's just extremely disappointing after the day we had the the day before you know uh, so that I, I do remember that first that first few days of the shoot were were really difficult um, for you know a variety of reasons. Was it in the rule book uh, that you can't vote for yourself? Because I know in my season uh, you, I got sent obviously a massive list of rules that you do and do not, and and one of them was that you cannot vote for yourself. And 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 something that was different back in those early seasons, even in the American season and yours, was that in the in the event of a tied vote you would have previous votes would end up um determining who went home so well, the fact that lucinda did vote for herself meant it almost kind of cheated the rule well by her voting for herself it means she's not voting for another member of her tribe and that may help that tribe later down on the uh, down the track so what was yeah. there rules in place at that time that you can't vote for yourself See, this gets back to what i was saying before we, we weren't we didn't get any rules so the rules that we played the show by were based on watching watching the US season. So, you know, there were there were obviously rules that unless you see them played out on camera, you don't even know they exist. So, you know, there were quite a few things that happened during the course of the shoot where we were kind of had to all sit around and think, well, hang on, is that right or is that wrong or should this be happening this way? Like I said, we had nothing from either Castaway or CBS. So we were kind of making it up based on how well we all knew the show. So, yes, you know, the way you explain that, that's exactly right. But as I said, there's a position, there's a situation where if you have somebody, you, know, you have a duty of care to these people, uh, you can't make them stay there. You know, the rules might say that all they like, but you can't, you know, you can't kidnap somebody. So there's just a point where if somebody says, sorry, I'm out of here, I am just not doing it. You know, there's there's only so much you can do. It was just extremely disappointing that this person, she had gone through such uh, a lengthy stage to get to that point, 
audition process and ahead of so many other people who, you know, in hindsight would have been so much better, to bail on us after such a short period of time was extremely disappointing. And I remember everybody was really angry. And uh, we had we had two people that whose job it was, sole job it was, was to look after them because they all had to stay around Port Lincoln for the entire time. And um, and I remember there was a lot of tension in the house <laughs> around that because, you know, nobody particularly liked it because she, she had really stuffed everybody up by doing this right off the, you know, right off the bat. So this made difficult, made it difficult for the others who then moved into the house with her as, as people got uh, voted off. Which I think is interesting to point out in the, the timeline of Survivor, be it the Australian or the US version, is that given it was still very early on in Survivor history for what most Australian viewers were used to, mm-hmm. no one in the US version had obviously ever quit to that point. We didn't see a quitter until season seven. Now, that I think yeah. is still in this point in history where nobody would ever consider or fathom no one would ever quit this game, as you said, because they've gone through such a rigorous progress mm. pr- procession to get there. So I can see why yeah. there would be such a negative backlash. Today, it's, I mean, it, we've had plenty of quitters in the US version. We've had one quitter in the Channel 10 version, of course, at least. Uh, technically the only proper quitter in the Australian version because Lucinda technically was voted out. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting that that reaction is there because, again, no one would consider that somebody would want to leave that game at that especially the first person. I know. Well, and especially after like two and a half days. You yeah. Know, um, it'd been that dreadful night the night before that we just spoke about. But um, uh, other than that, sure, you know, God, we've all gone without food for a couple of days if we have to. You know, I just think she was, uh, it just surprised me because she was so different in, in the auditions, you know, and a lot of auditions, as I said, um, you know, spoke quite differently. Um, about what she would do and how she would play the game and everything and, and really just, yeah, completely. But, you know, what can you do? Uh, that's it's just one of those things. It's just, it was just a real bummer that it came directly after the, the night before. So it made for a very difficult first few days. Well, you mentioned that difficulty from those first days. I mean, everything seemed to be working against you kind of at that point. You had terrible weather. You've yeah. had challenge, fuck up. You've had Lucinda going home. Uh, how is it as an EP, to to regroup, keep the team together and go, guys, we've still got 36 days to go, let's keep pushing forward. Because as I said, it was difficult. I can imagine you're going, fuck, what's going on here? Everything's working against us. To keep pushing forward, keep this game going and still produce a product that you're going to want people to get hooked to when it airs in a few months' time. Mm, I mean, in my mind, I guess I'm always thinking... Okay, we'll try. Well, surely there'll be something we can do in cutting because I, you know, at this stage haven't seen everything that all the producers have come back with, so I don't know what interviews there are and and what what actuality's been shot. Maybe there's some other, you know, interesting dramatic scenes that will help offset some of this. So I'm sort of in the back of my mind, I'm still hoping there's other things that that will help fill those episodes and, and create some other tension and drama. So I've got that in my mind, but also, you know, yeah, part of your job is to keep everybody focused and g'd up, but. But also, once again, you know, the next day, everybody was, we were back into it again. You now it was a challenge the next morning and off we were going. So you didn't really have time to, you know, if there were fuck-ups like that, you just move on and, yeah, we'll, we'll, there's nothing you can do. It's it's done. Um, we'll try and learn what we can from it. Because um, I remember there were a few other shaky people at different times, but uh, no, nobody went quite to that length. Um, so, yeah, it just, there was, there was so much to do, you didn't really have time to, 
kind of wallow in <laughs> wallow in your despair. While we're on the topic uh, and talking about the the early sort of few days of Survivor, um, I've talked about this at length uh, on our podcast. I'm a big fan of David Haas. I, I thought he was just a, such a great character. Um, you know, we, we, we sort of slightly touched on Katie Gold and Rob, and we'll talk about more more about them later. But David is one of those ones, because he did go so early, he was third out, that we didn't get to see a lot of him. But he, he really seemed to be someone that wanted to play hard. A lot of his confessional interviews he talked about, you know, everyone's just there to be friends, and it was actually making him sick, and he, he just wanted to start getting amongst it. Was That that must have hurt, sort of sitting back, seeing in that early part of the game everything going wrong, and then you've got this character that wants to play hard, and he's sick, and he's, he's with all these young people. That would have been another thing that would have been hard to deal with, no doubt. Well, yeah, and you're exactly right. He was going to be a, a good polarising character. Because you know nobody particularly, I think, I, I think he did like he didn't want to hang out with everybody else, and as much as they were, you know, probably trying to be friendly, they could see that he's he was there to to play hardball, you know, and so I think, um, yeah, losing him at such an early stage was um, was you know yeah a massive 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 problem. But once again, he was he was quite sick. He was um, he was seriously dehydrated a couple of times, and I remember him going to having to go to the ambulance yeah and two different times uh, and being attended to by by the medics uh, and I think it was in the end yeah they were they were quite concerned about him as well so I don't I don't know what what was actually wrong with him in the end like you know, whether it was a combination of a whole bunch of things but uh, he wasn't well his his spirit was there but his his body wasn't backing it up unfortunately one of the big questions that a lot of people have always wanted to know is the tribes obviously had to alternate between days of getting water and then going for fishing. Was that just down to the yeah. restrictions of the location? Was there a specific reason why that was done? No, we just thought that would really mess with their heads <laughs> because they had to walk. They had to walk quite a long way, and it meant they had to conserve water. And it was once again, it was just something we <clears throat> we thought was a nice a nice little part of the play. Uh, that that you know they they had to really think it through. They had to um, had to conserve water. Yeah, as I said, it was quite a long walk as well, because um, there was other water on the on the property they could have gotten to. But no, it just it just created more drama. We were hoping anyway. Another question that we've never been able to have answered, and we're really hoping tonight you can finally uh, tell us Shit. the reason Fred. behind it, Stephen. Um, <laughs> The Aurora Buffs, they never appeared. There was never a, an Aurora Buff, which was the first time in history and only time in history a tribe hasn't had a, a buff at the merge. Is Why did that happen? Oh, man, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Oh, that's a very good question. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> normally, uh, especially in a season like yours where one team got you know, decimated and, and there was only what I think it was only Karen, Naomi and Craig that merged and they were completely outnumbered. And we, we sort of saw that struggle with Shona in particular, Shona and Rob, where they, they could feel that, you know, especially Craig was on the outs and um, they were trying to give him offerings of carvings to make him feel part of the group. But yeah. I, I think personally, one of the big things is the fact that they, when when Karen, Naomi, and Craig came over, that they're they're still in their Kadena buff, and they're, so they're with, still the enemy. 
Yeah, and they're, they're with everyone else that's in the Tapara buff, where normally you would have the, the new, everyone would drop their buffs, you'd have a, a new buff colour, which in, in Aurora's case was grey. Um, yeah, and, and we just, there was never an Aurora buff. All, all I could say about that is that it was obviously a decision that was made by by all of us early on in the piece because, you know, we, we, had, we ordered those buffs, I remember, quite a long time before production. Um, that, yeah, obviously a decision was made not to do that. Um, having said that, you know, we had only seen the US version. So I guess it, it, was, it wasn't one of those things where, oh, well, once, the, once they merge... They have to. They have to have a new buff. You know, it wasn't like a written law or at the time, or it wasn't. That's how it's always done. It was. It was. Well, that's how they did at that time. Do you want to do that, or do you want to just keep them in their, you know, their 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 team, their their tribe colours? So I, yeah, I couldn't tell you the answer other than it would have just been a decision that we all made in the planning, for for better or worse. Probably for worth. I'm <laughs> Speak, speaking of watching the US version, during filming, I believe Africa was still airing. And of course, that was the very first yeah. season where they had a tribe swap uh, very much pre-merge. Now, we've talked mm. a little bit about how obviously Tapara dominated. Kadena only won one immunity, went into the merge, uh, a little bit down on numbers. Was there any ever discussion of throwing in a tribe swap pre-merge? Uh, no, no. Once again, we, we, I guess weren't weren't at that stage aware of all the because you're right. It was it was on at exactly the same time. We weren't aware of all the different ways because we weren't given a a bible per se that you could do. And I think there was a few of us who were thinking, well, I don't know if we can do that, can we? Maybe we shouldn't because maybe that's not how you're supposed to do it. You know, there was thinking back on it now. There was an extraordinary amount of naivety, you know, uh, good-natured naivety in as much as that everybody wanted to do the right thing. But we really didn't have a lot of guidelines on on how to do it or what you could do, you know, uh, or how you could make these things work for you better, uh, better work for you, I should say. So um, things like that, I think, you know, they may have been discussed or they may not have, but in the end, I think we, we were trying to stick as, as simply to what had gone before as possible, you know. Um, once again, in hindsight, there's probably a number of ways you could have played things differently that might have made um, the last few episodes much more dramatic. Although, you know, I thought I thought the last episode, not not the live last episode, but the last episode when there was just uh, when Katie was still there, uh, that's still some of my favourite television when she. Uh, goes absolutely troppo at the end and um, storms off, and, and oh. she was she was amazing. I completely agree, Stephen. I, to this day, I still say it's one of the best final episodes in Survivor history. I, yeah, I, I would go on a limb and say it is the best final Survivor episode in history. And that's <laughs> compared, I'm, not, I'm not even doing that to suck up because legitimately, I think, even compared to the US versions, you've never had one player have that extent of a breakdown where you just literally threatened to almost kill someone in a confessional like it just mm. it's gold and no pun intended on the person involved of course katie gold no. but yeah it's it was it was brilliant she was she was brilliant she was super competitive as was rob she thought rob was her best mate they were both from melbourne you know she I, and she was she was completely blindsided and you know she she hated that and uh, but but yeah that, that was great telly it was just a shame it came too late you know that sort of passion should have been there with most of them 
you know, much earlier on. Much Which earlier on. is, like, yeah, on that, I mean, you want that the entire season, don't you? Because, I mean, that's what Survivor's built on now. That's what the modern fans know of this game. It's the, the backstabbing, yeah. the lying, the deceit. But, again, to put that into the context, which we've tried to obviously explain a lot throughout the season and the recaps, is that you're still in that early phase of the show, be it the US or the Australian version, where it is mainly heavy on relationships and survival and not necessarily that much on on strategy and gameplay but if you've got katie and other people doing that throughout that season then it's going to maybe produce a little bit more so than just mateship which people have that perception of season one well i think that was that was the one of the things that we thought was an issue was that in the end there was this prevailing mateship that that's an aussie trait which is a wonderful trait uh and also just Back then, once again, you know, we hadn't seen as many as we have now. Back then, it was like, yeah, I'm going to play hard. But, you know, mate, I'm going to do the right thing. You know, you're still my mate. And, you know, Joel was the uh, epitome of that. You know, he was he, he was so true through and through. You know, he, 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 he felt bad every time he had to, you know, backstab somebody or do something that was a little bit... Uh, um, you know, behind somebody's back or whatever, and uh, and but a lot of them were like that. They were just like, no, nah, yeah, yeah, we don't want to go too hardcore, which was which sort of goes against everything the show is supposed to be. But you know, had had they been brought up on seeing multiple episodes, multiple series of Survivor, I get, you know, they would have all gone into it probably hungrier and certainly feeling more at ease in doing whatever they needed to do to win. You know, and this, and the thing is, it was a shitload of money too. You know, it was a really good prize money. What was it half a million bucks? Was it not? I think. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Uh, and did did, did, did sorry did did you try to talk Joel out of that throwing away that last challenge? Obviously, oh, like you said, it is for five hundred thousand. Maybe a little reminder to him that hey, you could absolutely. be you know you could be half a million dollar riches. We were we but myself and you know we tried to obviously not have you, you need to limit. Uh, who talks to to them, you know, um, because you can't have everybody getting in their ear, you know, and that, that just messes with them. So we had a couple of producers who were both, you know, who, who had their favourites and that, who got on really well with different uh, different cast members. And uh, and then I spoke to Joel as well. And, um, and, you know, I think he came close to changing his mind, but in the end, no, that's what he was going to do. That's what he was going to do, you know. It's... It was mates for... I mean, it's really the, I think the decision and the moment that kind of that changed it up, particularly towards the end. Um, which, you know, there are moments in each season of Survivor which you can say form the, the the true narrative of who wins the game. And I would argue that decision by Joel and kind of the decision by Shona and Rob to to go along with that really is that moment because that led to the Katie drama that, that led to the, yeah. the sort of the, the leaving Sophie out of everything and everything that kind of led to that. So it's always yeah. interested me that a lot of the, the, the people who talk down upon season one about having limited strategy, it's all about mateship. I think it's, it's fascinating that kind of people seem to give up on it a lot before the point where this stuff is happening and then that is forming the, the, the final picture of how Rob and Shona are in the end and how Rob, I guess, ultimately walks away half a million dollar richer. Yeah. No, you're right. It's just a shame it was in episode one, the second last episode <laughs> or third. Like, you know, it was all a bit too late by then. But um, anyway. We, we mentioned the Surviving Survivor episode, which for any of our listeners that haven't watched it, you have to watch that episode. It's totally... It, 
fantastic. You'll learn a lot from it. But one of the things that you show on that episode, there appears to be a mutiny um, right at the end with the final four. Now, since doing this podcast, we, we believe that it comes down to the fact that the final two was going to be changed into a final three. Do you recall that? Yeah, and Shona was was um, was going to walk. She uh, we had we stopped production, um, and oh, yeah, I'm just trying to think what what it was all about. But uh, basically, Shona was Shona and myself had a stand up argument. I remember, uh, and she was just going to walk off, like just leave. And of course, you know that couldn't happen. You know that all the amount of editing in the world is not going to cut around. All of a sudden, there's one person less in the second last episode. You know. So um, was it because of the the change to a final three? Yeah, yeah. Because because we had to change it because I forget now why we did, but it was it was yeah we we were changing it and she was the one uh, going on about well this is not in the rules you know this is not how it plays this is not how it's supposed to be this is not how I've been playing the game this is not how it's supposed to supposed to be. Um, I'm um, I'm going to walk, and I forget what happened. Was I, I remember saying, I remember yeah, in this argument with her, saying something like, "Listen, I've got a check up there for half a million bucks. If you want, I'll just give it to Rob right now, and you can just walk or something." There was like a full-on argument between us, and she eventually came around. Um, but it was yeah, it was over a last minute that that last minute rule change. Yeah, we, we've once been again, told once again. We, we weren't, you know, for us, it was a, it was a rule change. It was not like we had rules that we knew we were changing. We just thought we've got to change this because this is going to, this is not working out well for us for, for the end of the show, you know, so we have to, we have to do something here. We had to be really proactive, which we'd been hesitant to do up to that point. Yeah. I believe we, we've been told that if, when there was a talk about from walking that um, it was then said that, well, if you guys walk, we'll just give it to the last person that uh, was voted out. Which That's right. Was yeah, I think that, yeah, that that was me. As that was probably it. Then yeah, that was me. I remember saying something like that. Yeah, if you guys go, that's fine by me. It'll make great telly. I'm just going to give this walk around, walk over that hill, and give this check to her right now, and that'll be a really exciting ending. And you'll have to wear that for the rest of your lives or something. It was all quite, <laughs> quite nasty at the time. But um, uh, and but obviously they sensed that I was real <laughs> that, that 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 this would this is possibly how it would play out and uh, um they came to their senses but yeah there but shona was the one leading it all was any of that potential change to a final three down to you wanted to get katie to the end we certainly wanted to keep katie as long as we could absolutely as you pointed out she's you know you look at her and rob <clears throat> and um you know, probably her and Rob would have been the two most aggressive players. I would have loved to have had uh, her and Rob at the end, you know. Um, that would have been my ideal choice, but uh, that didn't work out. So, yeah, of course you want to, you know, and you'll do what you can, but it gets back to this, well, what are the rules and what are not the rules? Uh, and, and you know, whether that was fair or not, I don't know. You can discuss that till the cows come home, I suppose. Well, it's, it's very interesting you talk about that, about the rules and what wasn't, because, again, it, it seems, as you've mentioned plenty of times throughout this chat, it comes down to that period, you know, you, you're going into this blind, you don't know, because nowadays producers don't have any second thoughts about changing rules and changing things up, because 
you know, there are lots of instances with the US Survivor, you brought about it before, about how, mm. you know, a challenge will be brought in to suit a certain tribe or a certain player because they want them to get yeah. to the end. So they do what they can to manipulate it without directly manipulating it. So mm. I, I could imagine that if you had the reins today with everything now in hindsight, basically. Oh, my God, yeah. You, you would just be like, fuck <laughs> it, we're doing a final three. I want Katie Gold at the end. Shut up, Shona, you can walk. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you'd be you'd be mixing it up from day one, you know, or you'd be certainly going into it thinking, well, I've, I've, got, I've got complete control to do anything I want here, whereas we didn't do that. We, as I said, we tried to stick to what were the basics that we knew of the show and, and uh, having just watched those episodes. So, you know, we, we weren't empowered. I guess we none of us felt empowered enough to just completely go for it like that. That's why it took so long. That's why it took to that point in the game where we really, we should, you know, we should have, could have possibly stepped in. Although, you know, we were still stuck with an, an enormous amount of not apathy from, from these guys, but just as I said, as we're saying that, you know, the mateship, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, it's tough, but, you know, what are you going to do? They'd lost the hunger at that stage. Just adding on to what Ben said, I know in my season, uh, you know, my first couple of days, I was planning for if if we lost the immunity challenge that uh, it would be an, a, a day three or a night three tribal, um, and we did the immunity challenge on 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 day two, and I get back to camp, and I'd sort of been planning of you know who I was talking to in my tribe. I planned I was going to talk to the guys first, and then and then and then the girls sort of the next day. And I got back from tribal, and they're like tribals in two hours on day two. So it just shows you now that they that nothing like it's free for all. Like they can change a game at any point without warning, mm. and you just have to go along with it as a contestant. So, so really, there are no rules per se. I mean, it happens with all reality shows, whether it be The Bachelor or or, you know, Love Island or whatever, you know, it's, you, you go into these shows and you really, it's just a uh, buyer beware, you know, you don't know what's going to happen to you. If you're lucky enough to be there at the end, you know, well done. But um, like I said, back then we kind of had an idea of what the show was and how it's supposed to be played. And when we, you know, we tried to stick as close to that as we could. You know? Do you remember through the shoot, you mentioned obviously having that difficulty with Shona at the end, uh, talking to people like Joel, trying to, you know, get them to sway their mind. Were there any other of the players that were difficult, like they would question authority as, as the shoot got on? Do you remember? Uh, difficult. I remember, um, oh, what was his name? Uh, blonde haired, good looking boy. Um, Craig? No. S- no Sylvan? No. Sylvan, yeah was so i shouldn't say this but he was so just lazy and laid back <laughs> and just <That's> like Sylvan. <laughs> just trying to get a rocket up him and get him involved or interested or sweaty or anything <laughs> it was driving everybody mad and to be honest you know we we were more than happy when when he left because he was just he was he was like a surfer dude but once again, in the auditions, he, he expressed so much more fire and, and willingness to compete. But when he was there, he, he was once again, he was one somebody who was floored by just how hard it was. And, you know, and I don't, we couldn't compare how hard we were making it. Once again, we weren't given any guidelines on nutritionally what you should be giving these people every day, you know, as a, as a bare minimum for, to, 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 to survive. We were just kind of, doing what we thought was right. And I, I think it was pretty hard on them. You know, they, they literally didn't have anything to sleep on and they literally just had that water 
and uh, and it was raining and it was cold, and they, you know, they didn't have. I don't know. Did you have loos where uh, toilets when you did yours? Did, did they have a yeah, loo we, aside? We, we did. We had an area where there was a one long drop toilet. Yeah. Yeah. See, none of that. These these guys literally had to dig a hole. They had no toilet paper. They had it was it was really really hard, and and the food was they they didn't eat very much at all. You know. Um, so I think maybe we made it too hard. I don't know. Like I said, we had we had nothing to compare it to. Well, that's one thing I have mentioned. Even in the reward challenges on your season, um, you know, they might win a pizza and then they end up sharing it amongst a tribe. Now, one thing that did sort of fascinate me doing the rewatch, um, and obviously, you know, watching all the new the new seasons, when when pe- when players win, win a reward, they go off to a separate location and they get to take one or two tribe members with them, and then they yeah. they eat heaps. Where where in your season it was you you win a, a reward and then you have it back at camp. So you've got, you know, five or six or depending on how many is left in the tribe all staring at you. And then, of course, being the Aussie way, they all just end up sharing the prize anyway. Was there ever a thought that, hey, look, like, let's get them to another location so that way they can have a one-on-one conversation with another uh, tribe member while having a feast? Well, there weren't, from memory, there weren't that many. There were a few food rewards um, but just as you said, that's what we were hoping would happen, not the sharing, but they would be <laughs> forced to consume it and, uh, you know, the spoils of their victory uh, in front of their teammates, which might have created more, you know, on paper, could have created more drama or, or more angst or more animosity, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, then, you know, being mates, mate, why, how could I eat a whole pizza in front of you guys? Here, I'll have a slice each, you know, you might as well. Particularly Katie, who within five minutes of eating her ice cream, she was calling, you know, Rob dumb as dog shit and all this sort of stuff. Like, it just, it's such a unique turnaround. Like, oh, let's share our ice cream, you piece of dog shit. Like, it's just kind of, <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I know. Well, that's, there were quite a few things that just left us all scratching our heads, you know. <laughs> but I don't know. Although I did, I must, I, I must say, I did love Katie's nudie run uh, <laughs> on that day. That was quite cool. Which I'm sure you were dying then to show in that Surviving Survivor because, you know, nothing was blurred in that episode. No, no. Good honour for doing it, I reckon. She's a legend. There's no doubt Katie was, I mean, she's just, even to this day, I, I have said this and Ben has said this, that I think she's, if not the greatest Australian Survivor player of all time, she's definitely the best female Australian Survivor player of all time. Um She's just fantastic, and but but obviously she didn't win. Uh, Rob won. Mm. What, what was your thoughts like? Were, were you happy that Rob won in the end? What were your thoughts on Rob as a player? Oh, I thought I thought I thought the right man won. I thought he played everybody, including Katie, both psychologically and physically. You know, he was very strong. Uh, he was old enough uh, to have the smarts to kind of see what was going on. Uh, you know, he befriended the right people and made enemies of the people that didn't matter. You know, he was he played the game well, you know. Uh, it's just unfortunate that, you know, his memory is always going to be tainted by what happened to him afterwards and, and his two sons, you know. That was uh, a great tragedy, particularly happening over there, which was one of the reasons he often spoke about the importance of winning the money was to, to you know, um, spend more time over there with his with his wife's family and uh, so yeah it was i'll always sort of have those sort of bittersweet memories of rob were you surprised that him and shona teamed up uh they 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 said on the season that they basically teamed up from 
from day one. Do you recall if that was a surprise? I, obviously, Shona was the the eldest member of, of the Tapara tribe, but they just seemed to get along so well. Yeah, and I think no, I wasn't surprised, but um, she was she was very shrewd. She was um, she was you know she, she knew what was going on, and she was playing the game the right way. And I think they both recognised that okay, uh, if we play this well, it'll be up to us. It'll be the two of us at the end. And they were right, you know. Um, so, no, I wasn't surprised by that at all. How was it keeping the secret for uh, the months after that Tribal Council before uh, it was read out live on, on TV? Well, I was the only one that knew. So it, it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it was quite quite enjoyable knowing that I was the only one that knew it at the time because, you know, this was... Um, before the show aired. So there was, a, there was a moment of, um, you know, feeling kind of good that I was the only one that knew and everybody wanted to know. Um, because at that stage, everybody was hoping the show would be a huge hit. And, um, so yeah, no, it didn't, didn't worry me at all. It didn't worry me at all. So how did you keep that a secret from say the editors or the cameramen? Um, we had the, um, the actual, all, all the vision was kept in a particular way where nobody could ever see everything until right at the very, very end. Um, because don't forget, it was done live on uh, down in Melbourne. So um, the the camera that shot the uh, the votes, that tape was kept under lock and key, and so nobody had access to that at all. Uh, and as was the the container that had all the all the names in it as well. What happened to that? Did that get auctioned off for charity or kind of? Yeah, you... it did. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that got auctioned off. I think that, I don't know if it was that night or shortly after. I know there was a lot of stuff they auctioned off. Yeah, that was one of them I, I, I remember. Was there ever talk about a, se- a second season? No. <laughs> no, because it was shortly after that then, from memory, I mean, the third, the third US or the fourth US did okay, but then their ratings started to go down as well. And then, then, at, then at I think nine. How many? How many more years did nine run it in prime time? I think only a couple more years after that. Oh, uh, yeah, I think there was season seventeen. They switched six. it to the digital channel. So yeah, about sixteen seasons they kept on prime time before shelving it on go. Yeah, I don't even know, but I think it might have even gone from prime time, as in seven thirty, to uh, got later or got shuffled around the schedule. Mm, yeah, and, yeah, they uh, moved it around but, a lot. But yeah, so it, yeah, it sort of dropped off as as well, you know. And, and famously, during your season, they didn't show season four, my cases, the American version, because obviously your season was being aired, which was up until now. Now That's you right, can watch yeah. it on ten play and uh, or ten all access and go back yeah. and rewatch it, but. For years, people had never seen the the Boston Robins' first and, season, and people were pissed off too. I yeah, remember. they were. Yeah, <laughs> which well, you know, can't blame me for that. <laughs> well, I mean, it kind of adds again to what we've talked a lot about, like perfect storm. Uh, well, I guess an unperfect storm with all the bad stuff that happened in that yeah. first episode, and then obviously the negativity that came again around, as we're saying, Marquez has never shown. When you had finished the shoot and kind of in those months before it aired, were you expecting? The negativity, did you kind of leave the shoot thinking, well, this isn't what we were thinking or this will be good? Like, what were your thoughts before it did start airing and you were hearing that reaction? I, I thought it, I, I, well, I knew I'd been around long enough to know that it wasn't, it wasn't as going to be as good as we had hoped. You know, we, there were just too many things that had gone wrong. 
uh, and visually it wasn't going to be what it was going to be you know the despite me slipping Mars bars to to uh, to them to get their kit off from time to time, um, it, it was just not going to have the same vis- visual impact that a survivor should have, you know. So I was disappointed from that. But, you know, I had a good team of editors and uh, and we tried to, you know, do the colour grade as, as intense as possible. So, you know, the colours are really strong and bold. Um, so, you know, I did everything I could with it and um, – but I, I knew even if it was eighty percent know, of what I was hoping, I would say in the end, you know, it was probably sixty percent of what I was hoping to get from it, and that's based around the sort of things we've spoken about. But you know, even if it was eighty or ninety percent of what I was hoping, uh, I knew there would still be critics. I, I, you know, you could still look at it and say, yeah, if you hadn't seen the US show or any other show like it, you would go, that's kind of a cool looking show. But the fact is everybody had seen the US show and that US show had 10 times the budget, you know, and they had all the bells and whistles and they had, you know, everything that we didn't have. So as much as people were really keen and eager to see Australians do this show for the first time, I, I, I was bracing myself for, you know, regardless of how good it would be, that there will be people that will say, it's not as good as the American one, you know, and because we it can't help but compare yourself against those shows and those shows will always have you know much more much higher budgets than we do except now you know now our reality shows are as good as as anything the us has both you know with whether it be survivor or other franchises like you know uh, the bachelor and married first sight or the voice or any of those sorts of uh, big international formats australia does as good if not better than than other countries in the world but back then, this was this was all new. This was new TV for everybody back then, you know. You said at the start of the podcast that Lincoln wasn't your first choice for host, but once it was all said and done and the season was over, what was your thoughts on him as a host? No, I, I thought he did. I thought he did a good job. Yeah, despite his <laughs> despite his Port Lincoln partying. Uh, no, I thought he did a really he did a really good job considering he'd never done it before. He didn't have any experience, but I thought he played he played a reasonably straight bat, you know, because once again, our only benchmark was was Jeff. And, you know, and in this in what we'd seen of Jeff, he played it pretty straight as well. You know, he he at that stage wasn't showing a lot of um, emotion. You know, his his role was really to play it pretty straight, be a little bit empathetic, but be firm as well. But not, you know, not be anything larger than life. And and he did that really well. And I thought uh, Lincoln, you know, that was his job to do that. He's he he was he's not the star of the show. It was the cast members who were the who were the stars of the show. And he knew that. And I thought in the end, yeah, he did a he did a pretty good job. Do you think, going back to your point, mentioning about how a lot of Australian productions now are on par, if not better, than some of their overseas counterparts, because the, pretty much every Australian version now of any reality show will be edited the same it has the same music it has the same feel that people know do you think season one of australian survivor was a bit of a a lesson into you're probably not going to be as successful if you don't follow a format that people are familiar with absolutely yeah not just follow the format um but also have if you you can't do it with a, a similar sort of budget don't bother save your money you know um but at the time, Nine wasn't in a position to do that. You know, they had to they had to commit, and they had to commit what funds they thought 
they could afford. And like I said, at the time, it was the most expensive entertainment show they'd done. So it just gives you it gives you an you know example of how behind the eight ball or how different our two television cultures were back then. You know, twenty years ago. Um, now, you know, no network would consider doing a reality format unless they were prepared to spend, you know, twenty million plus minimum. You know, so back then that was that was a whole different mindset. So yeah, you're exactly right. I think it was it was a bit of a test case. You could almost say a test case in how not to do it. And I've I've heard that said before, but it was a test case in in yeah, what can go wrong, what what you probably should be thinking about and what you really have to spend your money on. And if you can't if you can't commit to doing it that way, yeah, don't bother. But on that, I think Matt raised this uh, early on in the season of our, our podcast episodes here, and I believe we talked about it with Lincoln as well, is that, yes, the negative reaction sort of stuck on season one for a very long time. We'll talk a little bit about the Channel 7 version briefly in a second, and then obviously with Channel 10 picking it up. But I think... And I would agree with this point that watching it now, 17 years to the point, it actually ages a lot better than I think people remember. And you can actually watch it in that context of the history that we've talked about, the period of Survivor and television it was at, and look at it with a different gaze. Do you feel, and I know you haven't watched it in a long time since it aired, mm. do, do you feel that just on your memories on it, it is a show that maybe ages differently to a point where people can look at it differently now with so much things in hindsight compared to when it was airing and that opinion that stuck with it maybe to this day can be looked at slightly differently, if that makes sense. No, I, I, and I think, I think that's, a, that's a really good observation and I, would, uh, and I would hope some people would look at it that way, that you'd look at it, as like you know you were an, you were one of the early explorers you know it's like this this was right at the start of this genre you know the reality genre you this was one of the very few networks that had even had a crack at doing this other than in the US and um there was expedition robinson and and uh, you know some other bits and pieces but this was this was new all around the world you know over those over those first few years you know from sort of 2000 onwards and so, you know, and Channel 9 was having a crack at it very early on in the piece. And, yeah, I think if you look at it through that lens, that uh, this is the start of these sorts of shows, um, yeah, hopefully you'd look at it and go, yeah, they, you know, they had a reasonable crack at it. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that went wrong that you couldn't control. But in hindsight, when those things gone wrong, uh, went, went wrong, if you had uh, – a bigger budget you could have offset that by you know having extra days to film and having other things that you could have got around it you know uh but yeah i'd, I'd like to think people might look at it that way that would be uh, nice. th that question <laughs> leads us into probably one of the biggest deb debates amongst australian survivor fans and fans around the world about the classification of the seasons now ben and i we class this as season one uh, i class mm. as a season one because I applied for your season, so for me, it's the first time I applied ever for an Australian Survivor. Um, how? But obviously, Channel Ten now they they started in 2016, and they call that season one. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I think you'd have to. I mean, it has to be season one. Of course, it's season one. <laughs> it, it, it can't be anything else. What else would it be? It's it's interesting because yeah, there's never seemed to be a, a, a firm classification because yeah, we're, we're firm on this show. We say season one, two thousand two, season two, channel seven, two thousand six, season three, channel ten, two thousand and sixteen. Absolutely, 
It's called so, Australian Survivor. It's not called, you know, uh, Whaler's Way Survivor yeah. or Castaway or South Australian Survivor. It's called Australian Survivor. It's the brand. It's the franchise. It was the first one that ever attempted to do it in this country. I mean, um, if Channel 10's was the first season, what does that make us? Mm. Yeah. It's, and, and I think a lot, well, I think a lot of that comes down to, I mean, Channel 10 obviously have their own ways of doing it with their production numbers, but a lot of the fans, yeah, they just tend to, like, oh, those seasons were crap, I'm going to forget about it, which kind of leads me into yeah. the Channel 7, the celebrity version. Did that surprise you when you saw that pop up? And did, did you know anything around the, the, the rights? Was that still something talked about, about how you knew well, they that's... got that loophole in because it was a celebrity version? Well, no, I think also um, that was around the time that Nine was sort of... Um, I think the rights had changed and they could do a celebrity version. But anyway, I, I watched a bit of it and it didn't do anything for me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was all right. I, it, was a, it was a novelty. But I would still call that Australian Survivor. I, didn't, I thought it was called – I didn't think that was called Australian Survivor. I thought that was called Celebrity Survivor or something. It, it was. It was called Celebrity Survivor, which, um, yeah, some people – I've seen there's so many debates of this, even around the classification. So there are mm. people who will say, yeah, call 2002 season one, uh, Channel 10 season two, because they like to think of Celebrity Survivor separate. But we on this show, we call that season <laughs> two because it was still an Australian version well, of But the fact Survivor. is it's still the brand. It's still yeah. the format. And it's still they would have had to have paid the same format, right? So it is part of the franchise. So you can't, whether you dislike it or not, you can't just ignore it. It happened. Well, my, my argument is always, you know, that, that people applied for, well, not the celebrity season, but for your season. And, and, and for both those, you know, uh, first two early seasons, you know, the, the competitors, the contestants still went through all the hunger and the, and the pain of being, a, being a contestant on a show survivor. So by mm. not, calling them season one and season two it's almost just erasing their memory of ever playing the game and that would be a shame for someone like a rob um um and a katie especially who were just you know fantastic players and and should be remembered for the type of game they did play oh i just yeah I, to be honest it's, it, it seems to, it, it feels to me like a completely pointless argument i i <laughs> that, that that's nonsensical to me even for even if you're a, a survivor purist do did it then surprise you to see ten pick it up sort of a decade after that anyone had attempted it and and on that did are you aware of that were people contacted from your version for tips advice or kind of come on board you've worked on Survivor before no well no I wasn't surprised because um, you know ten was it was after a, you know some big noisy franchises like Survivor and you know because they now do Bachelor and Bachelorette and you know they they and and uh, amazing. Uh, race and a few of those shows so you know it's perfect for them it, it fits their demo so I wasn't surprised at all but you know by the time they took it on of course there would be multiple bibles there's what there would have been how many seasons under the, under the under their belt to have watched and studied and it's a whole different ball game they would have gone into that knowing you know with, with a knowledge bank you know an enormous knowledge bank of everything that's gone before whereas we went into it with nothing so you know that's I'm not surprised at all they did it and they do a great job. You know, I've, I've watched a, a few episodes and, and it looks good and, and, you know, they've they've got a good budget. They've gone into it with, with the right amount of money. So, you know, I'm not, not surprised and, yeah, I think I think it's a, it's a good product and, it's, and I think this year it rated better than it's ever rated. So, it did, um, 
it'll it'll be around for a while yet. So you know, good luck to them. I say. They they've just finished um, filming an All Stars, which will be shown yeah. early two thousand and twenty. Now they've only chosen uh, Channel Ten contestants, yeah, but and, and look, I I understand why they've done that, but especially we, we keep going back to Katie Gold and, and, you know, she's still relatively young. She is one of the greatest Australian players of all time. You know, is it a shame? Do you feel it's a shame that she's not included in that? Ah, oh, no, to be honest, I think, I think it's their thing, you know, let, let them have their own all stars. I think uh, you're going back so far, uh, you know, that's, it's a long time. And I just think there'd be a lot of people who would go, who, you know, they wouldn't know her. Um, Unless you're, you know, absent like you guys would, God bless you. But there'd be a lot of people who wouldn't, and I think ten would just go, yeah, we don't, we don't, you know, we'd we'd have to explain it then, and then we'd have to talk about, you know, the fact that it's, that we weren't the first to do Australian Survivor. It actually happened twenty years ago, and you know, it's just messy. I think I could see why they would do that, and I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised with that at all. Have you remained in contact with? Not only production crew and people you worked with out there, I'm sure you probably bumped into them or worked with them a lot through your other projects, but also any of the contestants after all these years? Certainly the crew I see on and off on different productions, absolutely. Uh, I spoke to Lance just recently. He called me up about a couple of things. Uh, I, so I speak to him every so often. Um, no, as for the others, no, I haven't seen them since since that, you know, the the night of the finale, so... Uh, not for any reason, you know, not for any malice or anything. It just haven't they're from all over the place, and um, we've just never. I did. I did see um, Katie and Joel about a year after Survivor was on for a charity fundraiser. They were they were raising some funds. I think that was something that Lance organised as well. But yeah, not since then. I haven't seen them. No. So it's been seventeen years since your season, and you said at the start it's, you don't really talk about it much anymore. You probably you know it was a bit random that uh, we got in contact with you to talk about it all these years later, but now you've had time to think about it. You're talking about it tonight. Looking back now, reflecting on it, do you, are you proud of how it went down? Are you, is there a, I guess there's a legacy to it. Um, I, I'm proud to have been asked to do it and I'm you know really grateful to have done it. It was a fantastic experience. It was an incredible learning experience at the time, uh, you know, with some of the things that we've spoken about. Um, I, ha I have no regrets. You know, the things that happened, uh, whether they be decisions that we made at the time or whether it was weather-related, you know, they happened and the decisions at the time felt like the right decisions. You know, if in hindsight they didn't turn out to be the right decisions for a number of reasons, well, that's so be it. You can't, you know, you, you don't have a crystal ball. So uh, I think everything we did at the time under really trying and difficult circumstances you know, we did with all best intentions and, yeah, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But, you know, we gave it an absolute crack. And, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely grateful to have been given the opportunity to do it. But, yeah, I mean, I don't need to talk about it. Not many people remember it because it's going back so so long ago and I've done so many shows since. But uh, it's certainly part of my DNA, absolutely. Speaking of so many shows since, you, you've mentioned Idol that you were involved in. Uh, I believe you were heavily involved in this time next year and plenty of other shows. Uh, mm. I mean, what have been some of your other main highlights that you've, you've appreciated throughout your career? And, and on, on top of that, uh, what, what else are you doing now? You mentioned freelancing a little bit. You're kind of just working on what you can or do you have anything exciting coming up? <laughs> well, I've got a few things I'm doing that I can't talk about because they're not on air till next year and they're a bit uh, under wraps. But um, 
Yeah, after Survivor, I, I then did I executive producer of the first series of Australian Idol, which was a sensational lot of fun as well. And that was ridiculously successful. So that kind of helped with the, uh, you know, the, the highs and the lows that you talk about where there's, you know, Survivor didn't rate. And then within sort of, I think it was 18 months I was doing that. And that ended up being on Channel 10, the highest rating show they'd ever had on air. You know, so if you can sort of, you just got to go with the good and the bad. You know, they're all fantastic experiences. But, um, yeah, I've done you know, a lot of crime shows and a few other reality shows for 10 and, and then more recently this time next year with nine. And uh, I'm just finishing up a series with nine, which which I can't talk about. Um, and there's a few things, yeah, there's a few things I can't talk about for next year either. But uh, I'm keeping busy, put it that way. You're doing things for this time next year. I'm trying to tie that into a segue. I don't know. Like that, that was, (laughs) you work on something one day and then a year later we talk to you about what it's being and it's been huge and you've won Logies and stuff. (laughs) Uh, Well, we did win a Logie for, uh, for Idol actually. Um, But this time next year won't be back again because um, it just takes too long to make. Like it takes two years to make. And Carl's back on today fought. now. Carl, Carl's and he's back, back to his, on the Today Show. Yeah. He's, he's too busy now. He's got other things to do. Yeah, <laughs> just, you know, being Carl and all that sort of stuff. So it's yeah, exactly. it's been incredibly exciting talking to you with Stephen. We're, I think we've learned a, a whole lot uh, about the, the season and kind of so many great behind-the-scenes things. So, I mean, we really appreciate your time and obviously, you know, refreshing that memory. I, I, think, I think, Matt, Steve's done great here in remembering all this sort of stuff. I, I think I think you're underselling it. I think you remember everything. You just you're just bottling it up a little think, bit. So <laughs> I think I, I remember I remember less of the gameplay. I remember more of all the uh, after hours activities in Port Lincoln. I think that's the stuff that's more <laughs> seared into my brain. <laughs> we, we definitely got to get Lincoln back on to do some karaoke for us. I think maybe that's how we can finish <laughs> off the season. But look, seriously, Stephen, it, it's you know so grateful that you come on as a, as a big fan. You know, I, I still remember when when it, when it aired in two thousand and two and watching it with my family, and you know, I'm be, being lucky enough to end up playing the game myself. And but but to hear all the backstories from from an executive producer of that season and and stories that you know have probably never been told and. And hopefully our listeners, you know, really enjoyed this this interview. And I know I have. And I just want to, yeah, thank you for coming on and sharing it with us. That's quite okay. Hopefully, you know, a few people might go back and um, look at some of those ep- episodes and see them differently. And an absolute pleasure to chat with Stephen Peters. Matt, I mean, we said this last week, kind of the granddaddy of them all, the boss, essentially, of season one. And I really think for us to be able to do a proper archives podcast, sit here and go over everything that we've covered, interview everyone that we've interviewed. We really couldn't escape interviewing the guy who's probably been mentioned more so than any other person on this entire podcast. He's been brought up all the time, Stephen Peters. So, I mean, that was that was everything and more. I think that's kind of exactly what you were hoping. Um, clearly, I'd like to know that budget, Stephen. But uh, other than that, I think we, we ticked off all the bases there. Oh, you're spot on, Ben. It was so important for us to get Stephen Peters on on this podcast, and it's something that we had spoken about, and we like we we need to have him on because we wanted to hear his version of what went down in Whalers Way when they filmed it in 2001. So to have him on to hear everything that's to his to hear his version, um, fantastic, you know, and and so glad. Thanks, 
Stephen, for coming on and uh, being a good sport about it. And as you just mentioned there, you know, maybe a few people are going to go back and, and look at these episodes differently. And, and we hope that, you know, we're achieving that throughout this this podcast series that we're doing. We're getting a lot of, you know, great feedback from people listening at home who maybe haven't watched it in a long time, and particularly the contestants who are kind of opening up all these doors for them there in terms of their memory, kind of bringing all this back. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is a unique insight to kind of get that from Stephen and kind of learn some of those ins and outs and some of those behind the scenes things. So uh, hopefully for those who have been enjoying this series to kind of get that insight from him, you know, a little bit more there uh, has helped. And, and we, we sincerely hope that moving forward, we can get the EPs on from from each of the subsequent versions. You know, obviously with Channel 7, when we move into Season 2 next season, that would be a fascinating chat because I would maybe go out on a limb and say this is going to be the season we're going to go into with the least knowledge of. At least we have a an official handbook that we can kind of fall back on. And I'd had a bit of experience interviewing a couple of the contestants in Lincoln before. I mean, outside of our Amber interview, no experience at all really with this season. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. So getting the EP from that season will be very interesting. And with the Channel 10 version, I am not sure if they've had the same EP for all the seasons. I think they've changed them up at least once or twice. I could be very wrong there, Matt. I'm not too sure. But um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the go-to person that really gives you a lot of the questions that maybe some of the contestants can't answer. So stay tuned. We'll see who we can get on uh, in the subsequent seasons as we cover them. Matt Dyson, got to say right now, moving into next week, are you are you excited, Mr. Dyson? Mr. Dyson Alicious? Uh, Dyson Vacuum Cleaner? Dyson the Bison? I, I, I don't know what your nicknames are, but like, tell me you're excited for next week. I'm a bit worried. You seem to be sucking up to me, Ben. This is not normal Dyson behavior from you. Dyson Vacuum Cleaner, but, uh, sucking up. That you, works. Good segue. You... You know I'm always bloody excited on ASA. It's the bloody best Survivor podcast going around. It's the best podcast going around, for God's sake. Damn straight. Except for the Oz Network. Download now via Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Great show that is too. But so we touched on this. I think we basically came up with this concept during an episode that, hey, why don't we do this? And we're going to do it now. A Zoom reunion where we are going to get as many of the contestants from this season and behind-the-scenes people that we've had on this show during that the season, on this episode, to come together and talk to each other. Now, at least at the time of us recording this ending, we've got a few confirmed, but of course, a lot can happen in between now and when we record. But I want to say there's at least, what, four or five contestants, Lincoln looks likely. So even if it sticks to that, we've kind of got a quarter of the cast with Lincoln. It's going to be a lot of fun because some of these people have not spoken to each other in nearly 20 years. So, Matt... I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think we're, we're just going to go with the flow, aren't we? It's, it's something that uh, they probably never thought was going to happen that, uh, you know, we're going to be doing a Zoom reunion. We, we've talked a lot about the actual proper reunion, the 20-year reunion next year that's going to be down in Whaler's Way or, or, or Port Lincoln. But, um, yeah, to, to actually, you're right. Some of these people haven't spoken or seen each other for almost 20 years. So to be able to get them on a Zoom reunion, we can chat. You know, all things Survivor, all things Season 1. Um, ben, of course, like anything, mate, always looking forward to it. And it's going to be interesting because any time you are put in a hosting chair for one of these things, you kind of just have to let it flow because it's kind of, it's going to be tricky to control the room over the internet. But um, yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting. And we, we are actually really hoping to do this for every season. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this, about how, you know, season two, for example, season three, uh, season six, they, they never had reunions. So it's kind of, 
a unique little flavor we'd like to do with it. And clearly with this season and then into season two, it will be a little bit different because it's been a lot longer with some of the subsequent Channel 10 versions. But then even looking at, say, Matt, like your season, you obviously had a reunion. You know, we're still going to try and do something where we can bring as many as we can all together because it's just something fun, close the season out, share some memories, do all that. Matt sucks, all that kind of stuff. Um you know, Matt might actually actually. You know what? On that reunion, Matt, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep up with tradition. I'm not gonna let you speak in that reunion. <laughs> You're like, well, <laughs> good point, good point. Yeah, I'll keep up <sighs> traditions, but that'll be next week, and then of course the following week after that, we'll have our uh, season one wrap up episode. Cable and Matt Carr joining us to discuss that, answer your questions. Thank you very much for everyone who sent the questions in. Great questions. We're looking forward to answering those. But uh, Matt, this is this is it's getting sadder every week we're 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 losing out on this season again we you know i don't know what to say i i'm sad but i'm excited and everything all at once can you believe it ben i think we've got to come up with some more stuff just to delay us finishing this season uh, what else can we come up who else can we interview uh i don't know uh leslie the lizard do you think leslie the lizard's still with us maybe um the, oh. the emu that sophie impersonated i i, I don't uh, know it's Look, it, it's sad, but it's exciting. You know, it, it really is because, you know, of course we want to keep finding out more stuff. We want to keep talking, you know, to people involved in the show. But I think the the, the greatest part is that along the way we've, we've learned so much. So, you know, getting closer to the end is exciting as well. That I'm looking forward to the Zoom reunion. You know, we've, we've got a finale show planned as well, just a, a full wrap-up. So, Ben, it's exciting. And, of course, I'm excited to, to get on to um, – season season two eventually as well when we get ben win on the show like life has peaked up hasn't it um everyone tune in today as always thank you very much as always like us on facebook follow us on twitter subscribe to the channel to get these delivered directly to your speakers instagram of course as well we post generally every day where we can so follow us there to stay up to date wish some players some happy birthdays things like that and of course Matt and the video. What is the deal with the video, Matt? We're two weeks away now. Craig was holding you for ransom. Craig said he's not coming on this bloody Zoom reunion until you release the video. Can we have that video in the next week? Look, Ben, just just keep your eyes out. It's looking like it's going to happen. So just keep your eyes out. You you may get something sent to you very soon. I I like it when people send me things that I'm going to get excited about. So um, bring it on, I say. Bring it on. But no, you can't give me shit. It was te- I'm the one, I'm leading the charge here to say how terrible this was. There's can't a reason why I couldn't. Give you shit. You can't cannot give. <laughs> no one's allowed to give me shit. All right. All right, Matt Dyson has just literally opened the door for everyone to give him extra shit. Like, don't give me shit. Please don't give me shit. Give him shit. I want comments of shit on his post. Oh, he's blushing. We need to end this. Uh, Thanks to Stephen. Thanks, everyone, for listening. My name is Ben, and I also don't know what the budget is for this show. My name is Matt Dyson, and Ben, we don't have a budget, mate.